Welcome to the OA Serenity Sunday Meeting Podcast. Serenity Sunday is now hybrid, meeting in person at Roxbury Park in Beverly Hills and on Zoom. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroups webpage at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live in either iteration. Now that we're meeting in person, Serenity Sunday has regular meeting expenses and would appreciate Seventh Tradition donations to help support the meeting and this podcast. You can donate via Venmo at Serenity Sunday. Last four digits of the phone number are 6255 or through PayPal, Serenity Sunday 1212 at gmail.com. The opinions expressed on the Serenity Sunday podcast are those of the individual speaker and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And now, our speaker. I'm Courtney. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, thank you. Thank you again, Lewis, for inviting me. It's a big honor. It's a really, it's a big honor. It's always a big honor to lead any meeting, but this meeting, of course, everyone knows. It's, it's elevated to, to some degree, and it's nice because I feel as though I, I know to some degree or another everyone that I'm seeing here and on the screen, and my eyeglasses for seeing are deliberately on top of my head because otherwise it would be <laughs> too much. Um, it's, it's good to have a little bit of blurry vision <laughs> and, and not, you know, be able to sort of see it all too clearly. Um, um, oh, wow, perhaps that's a theme for my share. Um, a little bit of blurry vision and not being able to see it all too clearly. Um, sometimes that helps me, I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes uh, devices that help me turn the volume down help me. Um, they help me with the um, my addiction to anxiety. They help me with my addiction to food. They help me with my addictions, plurally. Just that knowledge that sometimes it's okay to turn the volume down because life is um, like is or can be overwhelming. Um, I can't speak for everybody, but from what I've heard, I was gonna say for us all, but I'll speak for myself and say, you know, I'm one person, I feel small um, in the scope of everything I see before me, um, you know, materially in the material world, but also spiritually in the spiritual world, I feel small, I feel powerless. Um, and, but I don't feel alone. So that's, I think, the significant um, thing that keeps me moving forwards in my life, which was true even before the rooms, before um, 12-step program. But um, uh, trying to manage my addictions on my own um, prior to finding, you know, the friends of Bill and the friends of Roseanne, the friends of everybody, um, you know, uh, was... It, it worked to the degree that it worked until it didn't work anymore. And then, you know, through the wisdom and the strength and hope and experience of others who came before me, I, you know, set down my reluctance that I had been carrying around for about 18 months. Um, and I went to my first meeting. It was in the other, it was in the family program. That's how I got here. Um, because I was willing to do anything to turn off the noise in my head, uh, anything. I was desperate. I was desperate to turn off the noise in my head. And I started to have some relief from that. And after about a year of that, I was with a fellow um, 
um, and it was a stressful time. And he said to me at the end of our little coffee time together, he said, well, would you like to talk about the number of cookies that you just ate? As we sat here, and he's a close friend from school um, that I had been close with for many years. And I think that was fine. You know, he wasn't somebody I just met. I mean, it was it was reasonable for this friend to say that to me um, in consideration of our friendship and in consideration of his amount of time in recovery in other rooms. And I had had enough time in the other program to know that I wasn't supposed to lash out at him in defensiveness, which is, was my first instinct. And then my second instinct was to shut my mouth and be quiet and say, what do you suggest or something to that effect? And he said, well, you know, there are rooms for people who have issues with food. And I said, yeah, okay, I know. And he said, well, I was in New York City at the time. And he said, okay, well, if you won't do it here while you're here visiting me, will you do it when you get home to Los Angeles? And I said, yes. So I flew home, I think it was March 9th and on March 26th, um, I looked up Overeaters Anonymous and I took the little quiz online and I answered yes to almost all of the questions, let alone the three. Um, there are a few I answered no to, but otherwise I thought, oh, you know, and again, I'd had some time in the family program, so I knew what addiction was by now. Um, my naive ate ideas about, you know, addicts and what their lives looked like had vanished. And I knew what an addict looked like. And on during that month of March of 2012, I discovered that an addict looked like me. And, um, and I went to my first meeting. Thank you. I went to my first meeting in Los Feliz and it was a food plan meeting. So I thought, oh, this is great. You go to OA, you talk about your food and, um, you know, and that was great. And two people handed, I said, I identified as a newcomer. They handed me their numbers. I cried. I thought that's kind of amazing that strangers would hand you their telephone numbers and invite you to call them. That blew me away, even with all the time in the other rooms. And, um, and uh, I went home and for the first time I put a, what I call it, put a perimeter, I put a corral around my dinner. So that was the first time I had done that and known his, in my own personal known history. I, my story was uh, something I had learned in my family of origin and my culture was you starved all day so that you could go home at night and, you know, enjoy your life. Um, and that's what my life looked like forever. And uh, the other thing I remember doing was um, I, when I would go out with people to eat, I would eat whatever I wanted as large a dinner as I wanted, because I thought if I hide how much I eat, then to me, that told me I had a problem. So as long as I was honest about how much I ate and I just identified as having a big appetite or being sort of idiosyncratic with food, then I, by definition, was open and honest and I didn't have a problem. So as long as I didn't hide, I thought I didn't have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Stories we tell ourselves. Um, so, but, you know, I was 44 years old. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I'd had some time on, you know, in this life and, I had, had some wisdom, some life experience. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I was a kid who just didn't, you know, still bouncing off walls. I was a fully fledged adult who was bouncing off walls and living this way. And um, 
And I didn't imagine it would ever change for me. I was hoping that I would quiet the crazy in my head. Um, uh, the noise, I shouldn't say crazy, that's unkind. I should, I, 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 I thought, I believed I would one day recover from anxiety, but I didn't really believe that one day I would eat differently, that I would have a different relationship to food. That seemed way too minor a problem to have to worry, to just worry about. I just figured, well, I don't know, one day maybe I'll stop, but I didn't really ever imagine that would ever happen. But that night of um, March 26th of 2012, I did, I went home and there was a beginning, a middle and an end to my meal. It was contained. Um, and I thought, okay, okay. I thought, okay. Um, and the suggestion that I could have even more recovery from the noise in my head if I put down the food was very inviting. It was very motivating as well. Um, and I just started going to meetings. I just, the only thing I knew how to do at that point was to uh, have a corral around my dinner. I still wasn't eating. I couldn't eat um, breakfast or lunch. I don't identify as an anorexic or bulimic because I, I just identify as a compulsive overeater. But it was, I, candidly, it was very difficult to start eating breakfast and lunch. It was harder to start eating meals I didn't normally eat. It was to shrink or contain my dinner. That was a little easier. Um, so at first, all I was able to do was just to go to meetings. I went to as many meetings as I could get to. Um, and I was still, you know, starving all day, but my, I wasn't, I was no longer binging at night. Um, and that was something. And I also felt at home, um, in a, in a way in Overeaters Anonymous that I hadn't felt in a long time with a group of people. I mean, not since school days, probably. And so, um, I found a sponsor and, uh, she was less concerned about what I wasn't eating at night. That, excuse me. She was less concerned about what I was eating at night than what I wasn't eating during the day. And so we started working the steps and, um, I tried working the steps around my, um, reluctance to eat breakfast and lunch. And, um, it was, as I said, it just also repeated. It was much easier to continue to contain my dinner in the evening and slowly let go of alcoholic foods that no longer served me, which I did about six months later, but increasing the size of a breakfast and a lunch that was uh, sober um, was very difficult for me, very difficult for me. Um, I don't know how it happened, thanks. I don't know how it happened, but all I know is that these rooms worked. They worked and they still work. That's the only thing I kind of remember. It's a bit of a, you know, I wasn't really, it's almost like you're not focusing on it and you wake up one day and you're like, hey, I've been abstinent for however many long, how long I've been abstinent for. Um, so I can't tell you exactly how it happened, but I've been in the rooms now 10 years. I've been um, abstinent 10 years, sober with my eating for a long time and or so with my food both in terms of what I eat and what I don't eat um and I remember I, I just I don't I don't think I forgive me I don't really remember when it happened but all I can tell you is for years now I make certain that I have a reasonable breakfast a reasonable lunch and a reasonable dinner um, my tendency will always be towards smaller smaller bigger there's just I, I, I I'm an addict I, I'm an addict with food I use food 
to to you know I, any any opportunity I will use food to take the edge off. Any opportunity I will uh, use my daytime meals to feel lighter and not eat as much as possible. And then I will balance that out by using food in the evening to relax. So if I'm left to my own devices, um, that's, that's precisely what will happen and it will increase and it will get worse. And so my solution has been the rooms. I believe in a higher power. It took me years to stop being afraid of my higher power. Um, but I managed to do that too. So the things that happened in almost imperceptibly over time were things like, you know, balancing out the intake, non-intake, or, you know, non-intake intake with food. Um, suddenly, you know, starting to feel less afraid of my higher power, because I was certainly afraid of my higher power. I, I think kind of, you know, the world around us, I mean, it was something to fear, you know, powers outside of me were something to be afraid of. But gradually that seemed to calm down too with sobriety and working and coming to the rooms and working the steps that seemed to calm down too. And I thought I could never in one million years work step three. Step three for me was like, I called it like the third rail in my own head. Like step three for me was just going to be impossible until it wasn't until it wasn't. So what did I do? I mean, what did I do? I kept coming to the rooms. I just kept coming to the rooms. So from that perspective, the rooms and you all, um, meetings, multiple meetings, sometimes multiple meetings a day, um, throwing myself into the middle of OA through physical presence in the rooms and in conversation with people, um, worked its magic on me so i can't speak for anybody else but that's what's worked that i believe that is what worked its magic on me that sort of 60 minutes a day sometimes two or three times a day um pre-pandemic in person um listening to the same principles over and over and over again sometimes with my eyes closed like it just it's like it was like groundwater just like it's steeped up and in and suddenly I'm breathing a little easier. Suddenly, again, suddenly my lunches, uh, my breakfasts and my lunches are bigger. Suddenly my dinners are smaller. Suddenly my food looks more green and less like non-green food. And um, um, suddenly I'm calmer. Suddenly I'm less afraid. Suddenly I am not only working step three, but step three becomes my mantra. Step three for me is now the thing that gets me through. Step three is the thing that gets me through. Uh, I have a sponsee and I speak to her regularly and we, I, we talk, when we talk about food or we talk about whatever we talk about, there's only really one thing to discuss at the end of the details. The only thing to, to raise is just, okay, well, it's a conversation between you and your higher power. I feel like I'm in a, I'm in a constant conversation between me and my higher power. I feel like I'm in a marriage. Guess the way I would put it between me and my higher power. I think I have always felt as though I am in a marriage with my higher power. Um, I think as a child, it felt more like a parental relationship. As I aged, it felt more like a, a, a relationship. Um, as I stopped being afraid, as afraid as I always have been, it feels much more like um, almost like a marriage, a, a healthier relationship. Um, 
It's my, it's, I, I hope this isn't a cop out. It's my answer for everything. Five left, right? Um, it's my answer for everything. Um, so in, in, you know, recently what it's looked like is I've aged. I mean, I, I told you I came in at 44, 10 years ago. So I'm, you know, 55 now. And I don't need to tell anyone in the room or on this call what happens to the human body from 45 to 55. Um, and what will hopefully continue to transpire as I age. And hopefully I've got more time here. Um, not here. I mean, here in the medicine. Um, um, you know, and so you know, eating soberly five years ago was fabulous. There was smaller clothing to be had. I mean, it was wonderful. And then I didn't change my food. I didn't increase my food. <laughs> it didn't matter. It didn't matter. You would have thought, oh, you, I mean, I didn't know what you would have thought, but I gained a significant amount of weight in the last five years in these rooms. And life was in session. We um, kind of unexpectedly lost uh, my sister, which I'm sorry, I'm still emotional about. And then we went right into the pandemic. And then my father got sick and he passed this year. And I just, and just life, you know, I don't need to tell anyone in the rooms. Life has been bananas um, for all of us in, you know, on earth um, uh, for these years. And um, I could, I was hard. I, 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 I'm embarrassed to tell you, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't find the willingness. I could not find the willingness throughout the last five years to let it go to the degree that, you know, biology required my doctor required. And I started to face those things we face in the medical offices when you don't behave <laughs> well with food, when you're, you know, 55. And uh, I just kept praying about it. And uh, I, I would say in the last, since July, something happened. I found greater willingness. I've dropped that weight and I will continue. And I don't have any of the medical concerns that I had in January. And I will continue to move in, in you know, good orderly direction like that. Um, I love all our mottos. I can't think of any right now. Um, and uh, I just, I just keep going one day at a time. If I didn't have one day at a time, I probably wouldn't make it. One day at a time is now. Also, it's become like, yes, yeah, step three, absolutely. But one day at a time, oh, oh, that's my new everything. So um, I think I'm going to stop there. And when we get to the topic, I think it shall be one day at a time um, for everybody sharing. So thanks. Everybody. <laughs>